Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Acts. We will be there both this morning and this evening, uh, the book of Acts. We'll be continuing on in our uh, lesson series talk, uh, where we're going to talk about being continually devoted based on Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Uh, being continually devoted. So just by way of reminder, while you open your Bibles up to the book of Acts, let me read our, our passage that we're basing this series on. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that concept, that description of the early church has always fascinated me. And I want to tell you, one of the reasons it has fascinated me over the years is that it is so very simple. We have a tendency as humans to overcomplicate things. Uh, we like to make things more difficult than they have to be. We, we create structures and organizations and things that really aren't necessarily a part of what God designed for us. Uh, instead, we, we tend to have this habit of, of just making things what we intend them to be. And I think there's a simplicity that comes with the gospel that, that is so refreshing, and it is something that we should really focus on. There, there are four things that we as Christians, if we would focus on, we would do well. If we could, as Christians, gather together and on an individual basis spend our time thinking about the things that the apostles taught, spend some time fellowshipping together and with God, if we would spend time breaking bread and spend time in prayer, we would do well. I honestly even would go so far as to say we would see the same sort of growth and activity in the modern day that they saw back in the first century. If we could learn to focus on the things that the early church focused on and not find ourselves distracted from those things. And so we're going to spend this time this year talking about these four concepts in great detail because, like I said, we as humans like to overcomplicate things. Uh, I'm going to take what is a very short verse and turn it into a year's worth of sermons to talk about overcomplication. But I, I do think that it is worthwhile for us to spend some time discovering what's talked about. And so we're going to spend time this month and next month and in March talking about the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching and what that means and how we can devote ourselves to it. These lessons, just so you know, are going to be simple because I really believe what we're being taught here in Acts chapter 242 is simple. It is, something, it is just a very single-minded purpose that we can all center on and we can all think about and we can all dwell on. These lessons, they're not going to be the typical three-part discovery lessons where we sit down and do a lot of research about different ideas. I'll be honest, today's lesson has one point. One point. 
And I think that'll be enough for us to dwell on this week. Because the one point we're going to talk about today, I think, is important enough for us to not distract ourselves from it with a point two, point three, so on and so forth. But in order to do that, we need to first discover what is the apostles' doctrine itself. Uh, Honestly, when we hear that word doctrine, we tend to use it in a sense of a group's teachings. Uh, When we talk about the doctrine of the church or that we need to get back to teaching doctrine, what we mean by that oftentimes is we need to get back and teach the fundamentals of what makes us us and not them. That's not really what it talks about here in Acts 2.42. It literally just means teaching. The things the apostles taught. And if you put yourself in the timeline of the way the church began, especially there in Acts chapter 2, the apostles were the primary teachers in the beginning. We know in Acts chapter 1, they were called to be eyewitnesses or witnesses of the things they had seen. They were to go out in the world and they were to declare first starting in Jerusalem and then throughout Judea and then up to Samaria and then to the remotest parts of the earth, the things they had seen Jesus accomplish as the Messiah. They were the witnesses. They were the ones who could go out there and say, I saw Jesus turn water to wine. I saw Jesus walk on that water. I saw Jesus and touched his hand and felt his side and hugged his neck after he died and resurrected. They were the witnesses of that. Not only that, they were the listeners who heard his teaching for three years. They had more exposure to the teachings of Jesus than anyone else on earth, especially at the time of Acts chapter 2. And so they were the ones who could say, this is what Jesus taught on this topic. And while we do have the help of the Holy Spirit, who was involved in the growth of the church, and we'll talk about him quite a bit as we go through these lessons and our lesson through the book of Acts. What we do have, though, is the apostles could take what the Holy Spirit was revealing and then compare it to what they had heard Jesus himself speak. And so they could be one to say, yes, that man is speaking the way that Jesus himself spoke. Were there people in the early church who thought or acted like they had the gift of revelation who weren't actually revealing the truths of God? Yeah. Yeah. That's the reason you have passages later on in the epistles like test every spirit to see whether it comes from God or not. There were those who were falsely representing what God intended to be taught. But the apostles, they could compare. They could say, this matches up with what Jesus already taught us. And so the apostles' teaching was of utmost importance. You also have the apostles being the early decision makers in the church. 
So when you're in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and following, those early chapters, those early months or even years of the church, it was the apostles that everybody turned to whenever there was a decision that needed to be made. You remember in Acts chapter 15, a dispute had risen in the church about whether the Greeks needed to be circumcised before they could become Christians. And Paul had his opinion, Barnabas had his opinion, James had his opinion as an elder of the church. But what they did was they all gathered in Jerusalem to have a discussion with the apostles as to what they believed God's will was in that particular issue. And ultimately it was having the apostles there in those early days that made the difference. Well, what was it that the apostles were teaching? Well, you don't have to look very far through the book of Acts to see the the very quick answer. Turn with me over to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. I'll read a few verses from several different sermons, and you'll get a pretty clear picture of what was being taught. Verse 32 and 33 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Well, here we read that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy, that Jesus was the one who had been raised from the dead, that Jesus was the one who had been exalted because of his sacrifice. Look down in chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17, you've got Peter and John preaching here. And it says, And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent And turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Here you've got that message that Jesus is the fulfillment of what the prophets had said was come, they that Jesus fulfilled those times of refreshing we've been looking for that would come through the Messiah. He was the one who gave us hope. Look with me down in chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Chapter 4, starting in verse 8, says, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, by, given to people by which we must be saved. Now skip with me over to Acts chapter 10. 
We've got another lesson by Peter here, a little bit later on. He's talking to Cornelius and his household. He's been called down from Joppa. He's there in a Gentile's house, which he realizes he can do because of a vision given to him by God. And it says in chapter 10, starting in verse 42, uh, I'll start back, uh, yeah, verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All of the prophets testified about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. After that, we see the Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says in verse 47, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay for a few days. Now, this is just a sampling of the things that the apostles taught. I just grabbed things that particularly Peter taught here through the book of Acts. But what you have talked about in these lessons, in these sermons, in these uh, demonstrations of the gospel, is that Jesus' sacrifice and his triumph through resurrection is the reason we have hope, it's the reason we have salvation. It's the reason we can experience grace and repentance. We have all of the blessings that come because of Jesus. And also because of Jesus, there is judgment and there is accountability. And that we are expected to live a certain way and that if we don't live that certain way, we will be in trouble but if we do live that certain way, we will be blessed. Over and over again, even in the case of Cornelius, but you see this in example after example, there are causes and demonstrations of those who were changed because of their teaching and those who were converted to following a different way because of the teachings of the apostles. That's what it was all, that's what it was all about. It's interesting to me that they spent their time in the early church talking about Jesus, talking about him, talking about do we measure up to his calling. They talked about have we lived like he lived? Have we acted like he acted? They talked about the hope they had only because Jesus accomplished what he accomplished. Not hope in ourselves, but hope in him. I don't know that our doctrine necessarily lines up with that as much as it should. It's interesting to me that if you go back and you look at Let's say you found in a, in a, a bookstore a, a lesson book called Doctrines. It would mostly be lessons about things like instrumental music or not instrumental music. There might be lessons about contribution and the way money should be spent and handled. There'll be lessons in there about the organization of the church. And there'll be lessons in there about us 
and what we do and what we look like. You know what there is conspicuously missing from those lesson books called doctrines? Teachings about Jesus. Now, I'm not by any means saying that those lessons are unimportant. They need to be discussed, they need to be taught, and they need to be things that we go over with people. But I've become convinced over the years both about my own teaching and about the teaching that I've listened to that others have given that we spend the majority of our time talking about us and the minority of our time talking about him. And the reality is, that's backwards. That's backwards. I guarantee you, Peter and John and all of the apostles spent time talking about what elders are supposed to do. We know they did because they're in the letters. Uh, We know they talked about how to have a good marriage. Absolutely important about moral living and how we're supposed to live. But consistently through the New Testament, there is more said about Jesus than there is about us. And consistently through my years of preaching, there has been more said about us and less said about Jesus. We need to be focused on the same doctrines that they taught on. And here's my primary reason why. I've mentioned before, I've had the discussion over and over and over again with different churches that we've worked with about the discrepancy between Sunday morning and Sunday evening attendance. Or uh, in one congregation we were in, the early service versus the later service attendance. And why is it that they drop off from Sunday to Wednesday or, or those types of things? We get all these discussions about, well, how do we get people to come when, we, when they're supposed to come? Let, let, me, let me tell you, the way we make that happen is by doing it the same way they did it in the early church. They talked about the part of the gospel that was most motivating and exciting, which is, Jesus. And they spent less time trying to control people by guilt. I have seen that play out consistently over the years. That when we try to control people's behavior, instead of pointing them to the Savior, we go wrong. We fail. We mess up. The reason the early church was motivated to do what they did, the reason the early church left Jerusalem when persecution arose and they went everywhere sharing the gospel with everyone that they met was because they were so enraptured by Jesus and by the gospel and by the message of salvation and hope and grace and mercy and love They were absolutely thrilled that they were able to escape the judgment of God and find themselves belonging to the confidence that comes with belonging to God. And when we spend all of our time talking about behavior, 
instead of talking about the Savior, we go wrong. We're always going to struggle. And let me tell you just how much they were motivated and excited to be a part of this particular doctrine. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6, verse 4. When the apostles got the opportunity to be distracted away from spending their time talking about Jesus to carrying on and taking care of business, what was their response? You see, an issue had arisen in the early church where there were, it was a racial issue, to be honest. It was the Hebraic Jews widows were being cared for and the Hellenistic Jews widows were being neglected and it makes a big deal about the fact that these were the Hellenistic widows and so a complaint had arisen what are we going to do why are these poor old women being neglected and the apostles response is we don't have time for that we have more important things to be focused on now, they came up with a solution very quick. You choose seven men from among yourself, men of high quality, men of certain uh, qualification. They will take care of this problem, but it says there in verse 4, here's why. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles' opinion was that they could not find any cause whatsoever to distract themselves from what was the bigger importance. They needed to be teaching about Jesus. They needed to be sharing this gospel message. They needed to be, they needed to be out there delivering the message. That was their unique and important role, and they weren't going to be taken away from it. And so they focused on what was of greater importance. And here's how devoted, that, what a devotion that created in the early church. I, I love the story of the early church because you've got a group of people who were so dedicated, so devoted, so uh, attracted to this set of teaching that they would left behind their jobs, they left behind comfort, they left behind ease, they left behind normalcy so that they could be there and hear the teachings. They opened their homes to one another, they sold property, they sacrificed themselves for the sake of giving other people and themselves an opportunity to grow in the gospel. It, it floors me to think about the way that this happened. We've got all of these people who have come into town for Pentecost. They're there, and they've heard the gospel, and they've responded to the gospel, and they want to hear more of the gospel, but it's time to go home. And the Christians there say, no, 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 you just stay here. We'll share our house. And we'll share our food so that you can stay here in town and hear more of the gospel. It, it, I know it's time for you to go home. I know you've got to get back to work. You've got to get back to your fields, to your flocks, to, to, your, to your occupation, whatever that is. I know it's time for you to go home. But if you want to hear more of the gospel, 
Our doors are wide open. We will throw out pallets all over the floor so that everybody has room. We will sell our properties so that we can have food, money to buy the food. We will sacrifice whatever we have to sacrifice so that we can hear more of the gospel. And it says that they spent every day dedicated to this message. And it wasn't a message that focused on knowledge Stories, well, you know, today we're going to have lessons on the judges. I'm sure the judges were spoken of. And I'm sure the, the divided kingdom was brought up here and there. And the evil kings and the good kings and what made good kings good and what made evil kings evil. And I'm sure that they were familiar with the territory, so I doubt they had to pull out maps and look at those types of things like we often do. But it wasn't about obtaining a, a knowledge base of scriptural ideas. And it wasn't about memorization and filling the head with what has always been known. It was about life-changing, soul-shaping, relationship-building teachings. That's what they were there to hear. That's what they were exposed to. That's why they displaced themselves from their home, because they needed to hear this message if they were going to change who they were. And I would even dare say, based on tradition and the information we have, that it wasn't in a setting like this. It wasn't a speaker behind a lectern delivering a message from Scripture. It was people gathering together and discussing what it was that the Scripture said and how Jesus fulfilled the Scripture and how this piece pieces together. And I imagine there were a lot of conversations that went like this. Hey, I was discussing with so-and-so last night this idea. Have you ever thought about this? And they would discuss the ideas and pull them together and grow in their knowledge and in their relationship together. Not based on lectures and sermons, but based on a joint participation with Scripture. Here's why I say that. First of all, by tradition, this setting was not common back then. This was not the way they did things. They would do things like, for instance, the school, or the, the Bible mentions the school of Tyrannus. And those types of settings, those were places of where you would discuss ideas. Secondly, you have passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 27. Here, talking about the, the lack of behavior and decorum that was going on in the early church, here's what it says. If anyone speaks in another tongue, there to be only two or at most three, each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God, two or three people, or prophets should speak, but uh, the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject, subject to the prophet since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. What do you have described there? A speaker in audience or a joint participation in the revelations of Jesus? There's a long and somewhat technical book 
I've, I've just read excerpts of, but it, by a guy named Alikin. The book's entitled The Earliest History of Christian Gatherings, and here's what he says. Speeches were meant to entertain the participants in the symposium and serve as contributions to the conversation or discussion. That is why Plutarch calls them amelai, a word which is related to the verb amaleo, which means to be, company, be in company with, to converse with, to speak to, to address, or to talk. The noun means conversation, instructions, or lecture. The word amalia that came to be used to designate Christians preaching has a connotation of intimacy and familiarity, of friendly conversation and persuasive argumentation with overtones of serious intent and instruction. The reason I bring this up is this. We have created, I think, in the church, in most places, and it is less true here than, than in places I've seen, but we have created an environment of spoon-fed Christians. Christians who go to church, they hear a lesson, and then they go home. And they wait till the next week until they can hear another lesson, and then they go home. And there's very little participation in the teaching. There's very little discussion of the teaching. There's very little exchange of ideas. Honestly, the preacher himself is one of the only people who ever gets to express his ideas. And so the congregation becomes spoon-fed like babies instead of learning to feed themselves like adults. And that worries me about our church, about Jesus' church. Because I don't know that that was ever the intention. That is not what you read of in the first century. When we just read there from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, was that individuals, many individuals, were involved in the teaching. They were involved in the sharing of truth. And while they needed to do it one by one, not talking over each other, the reason they needed to do it one by one was because each one had something valuable to be said and heard. And there are some brethren that I've worshipped with for years who I have never heard talk about the Bible ever. And that's worrisome to me. We as Christians should be devoted to this teaching. We've, we've been given the opportunity for it. And we should make it a priority. They, you know, they, back in the first century, all had to be in one place, at least back in Acts chapter 2. That was the only place to receive the apostles' doctrine. They had to hear it from the apostles. They had to depend on others to live in order to be able to hear those teachings. They had no Bible which they could compare it to. They had some access to the Old Testament scriptures, but nothing like we have today. They had only a partial truth, what was revealed to them 
currently, at the time, or what they could remember had been revealed to them previously. And they spent weeks, if not months, if not years, displaced to be able to hear the word of God. And here's what I want to share with you in contrast. We have nothing stopping us from digging deep, from discussing, from sharing the truth together, from growing deeper into God's word. We have nothing stopping us except our own lack of want to. And I think that's something we need to be conscious of. So what are your study habits? I would even go so far as to ask, who are your study partners when it comes to the Word of God? You know, how often do you find yourself lost in the Word of God? Not meaning lost like I don't have a clue what's going on here, but lost in the I don't have, have a clue what's going on around me because I'm so excited about what I'm reading. Do you devote yourself daily? What's your preferred topic of discussion with other Christians? I don't ask any of these questions to produce guilt. I know that we, we walk through different stages of life. I, I know it's really hard for a mom with a lot of young children around her to find time to separate herself well enough to get lost in the Word of God. You can't ignore what's going on around you when you've got children depending on you. I, I get that. I know some of us work long, long hours, and it's hard to pull ourselves away from it in order to spend time in the Word of God. And we do that because we're providing for our family and just a necessary part of life at this stage. I, I, I get that. I, I get we have things that prevent us. But my question is, have you done things in order to promote deeper study and I'm going to give you one challenge today find a study partner find one find someone that you can open the Bible with regularly and it might be something where you sit down at a coffee shop to do it it might be something you can do at the kitchen table at home if it's your spouse Find somebody you can open up the Word of God with and have at least some discussion with that partner about what the Bible says. And I would encourage you, informal is best. Uh, it, make it relational just as much as informational. I'm not saying go sit down and memorize the, the list of the kings of Israel. That's not a bad thing to do. I probably need to do it as a teacher teaching that right now because I fail on that so often. But it's something that it's good for us to have somebody who can help us grow, hold us accountable, and cause us and remind us to focus on the Word of God more often than we do. Wouldn't that be beneficial? And so few of us have taken that step to make that happen, even within our marriages when we have that study partner built into our life. That's my challenge for you today. Desire to grow deeper enough that you will find a way to hold yourself accountable to it. And, and again, I'm not trying to make life more difficult. I'm trying to just 
help you grow. They were continually devoted. And I can guarantee you, I don't think any of us have a hard time imagining them sitting down in the evening going, can you believe what John said today? I've never heard that before. What do you think about that? Can't you see that happening in the evenings? Them sitting back in the house where 20 of them are crammed into one room because that's what they had to do in order to fit everybody in the city for a while? And having large group discussions about the great teaching, about the things they never realized before, about how Jesus fulfilled even another prophecy they hadn't thought about yet, and growing. That's my prayer for us. If we can find that sort of enthusiasm and excitement for growth in the Word of God, do you, don't you think that would, that would light a fire? Don't you think that would get us even more excited to talk to our neighbor when that opportunity rises up? Don't you think that would get us more excited to come back and be together when we have another opportunity to not be spoon-fed, but to share together what we've thought about the Word of God during the week? It's a great opportunity to grow. For those of you who are not Christians, I tell you, one of the greatest fears I have for non-Christians is this. You can't experience the blessings of belonging to Christ without belonging to Christ. I, I can't even describe them to you. I'll describe them to you. Things like you will realize things in Scripture you never realized before because the veil has been brought away from your eyes, as it talks about, Paul does over in Corinthians. It's amazing to think about all the things I know today that I would not have known had I never become a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to become one. There is a depth of Scripture you'll never know without first having a relationship and a dependency on a God who loves you. If you want that relationship, he makes it as easy as can be. Uh, now, he requires a lot. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He requires you to live for him for every day from now until the day you die. But he makes the entry point easy. Confess him as Lord and have your sins washed away in baptism. If you're not a child of God, I encourage you to become one. Become one today. Uh, let, let today be the day of your new birth. Let today be the day you're recreated. Let today be the day you're made clean. If you need the invitation to get your life right, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.